News Radio. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Radio does not take responsibility for those statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. This is the Business of Government Hour, a conversation about leadership and management with government executives and thought leaders who are truly changing the way government does business. I'm Michael Keegan, your host and leadership fellow at the IBM Center for the Business of Government. What is the financial management strategy of the U.S. Department of Homeland Security? How is DHS modernizing its financial management systems? And what's next in its financial modernization strategy? I'll explore these questions and so much more with our very special guest, Stacey Barcott, Acting Chief Financial Officer at the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. Stacy, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Thank you, Michael. I'm very happy to be here today. I want to start off with some context. What is the mission of the U.S. Department of Homeland Security's Office of Chief Financial Officer? Well, let me start with the DHS mission first, and that is with honor and integrity, we will safeguard the American people, our homeland, and our values. And the reason why I do that is because my that ultimate mission of the CFO's office is to secure and protect resources for homeland security and for homeland security to be able to perform its mission. So we are fundamentally mission enablers. We have to make sure that we are supporting the frontline operators that are performing business at DHS. And that means getting the money in the right place to the right people at the right time. So, Stacy, given DHS's critically important mission, I want to understand the operational scope of its portfolio. How has the department organized the size of its budget, number of uh, full-time employees, and its geographical footprint? Hmm. Of course. Um, Funding security is an extremely diverse organization. Um, we have eight frontline operating agencies, um, anywhere from cybersecurity to Customs and Border Protection, to the Secret Service, Coast Guard, um, TSA that you see at our airports every day, uh, Emergency Management, Federal Emergency Management Agency, um, Immigration Services. It's, it's extremely large with an extremely diverse mission set when you're tackling borders, immigration, cyber, disaster recovery, assistance to state and locals. It's just it's the $90 billion worth of budget is a little bit daunting at times. I think we're the third largest cabinet level agency in the federal government after defense and the VA. Um, so we do have a, a very diverse operation set. And that um, with 240,000 people, uh, including 43,000 active military personnel, our geographic footprint is in 59 countries, and we are spread all over the United States, probably over 12,000 different buildings that we own. So it, it's pretty large, but all of that said, how, how that impacts my world is an extremely diverse budget and accounting operation. <laughs> we have direct appropriations from Treasury, we collect fees, we, um, we are, in case you the largest uh, second largest federal revenue collector on behalf of the entire federal government after the IRS. 
for what we do is for collecting trade and travel fees and taxes on behalf of the federal government, um, including financing our operations by fee-funded services. A lot of those happen with extremely large inventories, large operating assets, um, and lots of major ongoing construction projects. That's that's quite the portfolio. Uh, Stacey, I was wondering, you know, given your role as acting chief financial officer for DHS, how do you work with the DHS components in support of the department's overall mission? Um, well, how you work in DHS, um, there's no one magic way <laughs> to do business here. Um, and a lot of work is done by collaboration and influence, quite frankly. Um, I have in all of the eight operational components and some of the other large headquarter entities who have their own financial, they have financial operations inside themselves. I have counterparts, um, counterpart senior financial officers in each of those organizations that I um, meet with and interact with multiple, multiple times a month to understand what's going on fiscally for them and what's going and give them my perspective on what I'm seeing operationally when I participate in leadership meetings. So I think constant communication and collaboration is the only effective way to interact with the DHS components. Oh, that's wonderful. You know, I was wondering what, as a CFO, what are your top three challenges you face in your position since taking it over? And, and more importantly, how have you sought to address those challenges? Um, top three challenges. So the biggest ever present challenge for Homeland Security and its diverse mission sets is that somehow it feels like we're always being given additional mission scope. The biggest challenge is making sure that our resources, that we get the resources that we need and that we align the resources that we have to support the additional scope, right? Because when mission sets grow and they have grown substantially for us lately um, in emergency response, in response to the pandemic, in um, Southwest border surge operations that are cross-agency cutting, um, when we have to work more closely with our partners in health and human services than ever. And we've been given mission sets to lead um, unified coordination groups across the federal, federal government in response to things that the um, administration wants us to help tackle, uh, primarily because of some of the skill sets that we have. But that makes it extremely challenging given that our resources that we have are only allowed to be used for certain purposes and we can't go out uh, authorized by law mission scope without working very closely with our other federal agencies. So, so the complexity and the dynamics in doing a lot of the what I see as multi-agency operations to facilitate the mission and making sure the resources are in the right place is always very, very challenging, number one top challenge. Second um, challenge, but the most important thing that we can focus on is attracting and bringing on board the right talent and the right people. Um, for me in particular, personally, it's into the financial management environment 
and growing a um, good pipeline of leaders and future leaders of our organization and get, getting them the right skill sets. Um, and it's quite a bit challenging to bring people on board and to get them the right avenues to be able to come and do a public service support mission. The third biggest challenge most recently, I find, is the ongoing pandemic. I think it has made us stronger in some ways and enabled a lot more flexibility, but it's also what I call the, um, what it's going to end up being is the great social, organizational social psychology experiment when we start understanding the longer term impacts about how organizations interact. I have found that individual teams of five to 10 people have grown closer, but a lot of that cross collaboration work that makes us stronger as an organization when we have to work outside our normal little small team silos, it's harder to make that happen. And that just takes a, a tremendous amount of increased communication and dedication to making that happen because getting outside your silo and interacting with people that do business differently is what gives us um, diversity and understanding how we can all grow and become better. That's wonderful. You know, it leads, it's a great way to lead into my next question. And I always want to get, uh, given your background and your experience, uh, I'd like to understand how you lead. And, and more importantly, uh, what characteristics uh, from your perspective make, makes one an effective leader? And perhaps you could share with us some of the principles you use to guide your leadership style and approach. Oh, the, that's a great question. Thank you for that, Michael. The characteristics that make a great leader, and I always like to reinforce this with people, are the characteristics that make a good person. Every single person is a leader, and leadership is making a positive difference in other people's lives, no matter what position that you're in or what authority that you have. As long as you are making a positive difference, um, being helpful, helping other people to be successful, investing in others so that you um, collectively can perform great things together. I mean, that it's just about being a good person. Um, and being open and honest and transparent and uh, reliable and all of those qualities that you would think of as, yeah, I really enjoy working with that person. That's what makes you a good leader um, when people understand that. So part of my, um, as uh, based on my position, it's a leadership position, but every single person is in a leadership position to lead from where they are. Um, it, it really is about creating a positive work environment where people can be successful and be themselves. So my leadership philosophy overall is I, I kind of characterize as the ABCs of leadership. The A is your attitude and keeping it positive because we all know a, a bad and negative attitude spreads much faster um, than a uh, across the organization, so you always got to be able to look at the bright side, how you're going to overcome challenges, um, and, and tackle those head-on. So you have to build your teams for success by keeping things positive. The B is be bold. 
always be looking for gaps or places where you can be helpful even when you're not being told to do it. Um, and taking a step outside of that comfort zone and taking chances um, that you normally wouldn't take. Um, so I think being bold and looking for gaps and not waiting for tasks to be given to you is probably one of the characteristics that I value most in any employee. Um, and finally, the C's of leadership are, because there's a couple of them, um, building connections with people because leadership is not about control, power, or job title. Like I said, uh, said earlier, it's about the relationship that you have with people um, and building that positive relationship. Second C is communication. Um, and the most important part of communication for myself, um, and I think for mostly everybody in this, is listening, is being able to, um, and, and listening with quality, which is extremely hard in the virtual environment. And I have had to refocus myself several times um, to be present in my day and to not get, because if I'm getting through my inbox, uh, in email while I'm sitting in another meeting, I probably shouldn't be in that other meeting. Um, so communicating and listening and being present and um, communicating with quality. I always think of when a colleague or set or somebody that I'm working with doesn't do something that I expect, it's my failure in communicating clearly. So that's also very hard is making sure other people understand what you're communicating and not just assuming that that happens. Um, and the last, I'll put it, I'll classify it as three C's are collaboration. And you can't build connections and just communicate. You've got to do it for, for a purpose, which is to collaborate, work toward a common goal. And to listen, and all of those other C's, are, the last two are kind of are cultivate curiosity. And for me, that means always being asking the why behind something, not being afraid to let other people ask why and understand why they're being asked to do something, and creating an environment where if somebody knows the why behind what they're doing, something they can feel safe to try a new way of doing it, of getting to the objective that you're trying to get to. So when failure is okay for people to do, you will create more curiosity because people want, will want to think of new and better ways of doing business. So those are my ABCs of leadership. And I think I would just reinforce being a good leader is just about being a good person. What is DHS's financial management modernization strategy? We'll explore this question and so much more when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. To support government financial performance and accountability, financial systems must meet certain standards, and relying on outdated financial systems inhibits progress. ERP vendors are encouraging clients to move to the cloud and consider new technologies such as robotic process automation, blockchain, and AI to enhance financial productivity. Download the IBM Center Report Financial Management for the Future at businessofgovernment.org to learn why and how government can evolve to meet the demands of a digital world. 
The Ebola crisis in West Africa from 2014 to 2016 was an epidemic that put emphasis on global capacity to respond to international disasters. How can government better assess the needs of those affected and help them? The IBM Center Report Responding to Global Health Crisis by Professor Jennifer Widner breaks down the U.S. response to the Ebola crisis and provides insights on lessons learned that may aid the government responses in the future. Download your free copy, Responding to Global Health Crisis, at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Stacey Marcotte, Acting Chief Financial Officer at the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. Stacey, um, I was wondering, what is DHS's financial management strategy and the overall strategic goals that support your mission to provide effective financial management across the enterprise? Thank you for that question. Um, the overall fin- financial strategy of the of me as in the CFO's office, we have four main goals: um, be a workplace of choice for highly skilled and talented people, delivering financial excellence. Um, and the overall goal of financial excellence to me is to do things better, more efficiently, and effectively to support the DHS mission than anybody has done before in the past. So it's really driving ourselves to continue to build on the. How can we be innovate and be better at supporting the DHS mission? Um, and then I categorize the next three into what I will use, do my shorthand of is get the data by getting the right business practices and systems in place to help proactive decision support, and then use the, that data which means making resourcing decisions based on mission requirements, priorities, how dollars are being spent and informing those leadership decisions. And then last is what every public servant strives to do is to be a good steward of the taxpayer dollars and to be able to demonstrate that to our partners, to Congress, and to the public that we serve. So those are our four overarching goals for the financial management community. That's wonderful. You know, I want to transition and offer congratulations to you and your team on your efforts around modernizing the financial system uh, within the DHS enterprise. I was hoping you could talk a little bit about the progress to date. And then specifically, could you elaborate on the Coast Guard's transition and implementation of this new state-of-the-art financial management system? Thank you. Financial systems modernization, something that's near and dear to my heart because we've lived it for the last 19 years. Um, (laughs) It's been quite a long, um, bumpy, windy, um, lots of speed bumps, lots of challenges, lots of going around the cliffs um, and up mountains and down mountains to try to get to where we are today. Um, so we have finally, I will say, after we went the shared service provider route and for uh, a, a couple of different reasons, decided we weren't going to expand our footprint in that service provider. Um, and quite frankly, our one component that was going, our one agency that was going to be going next was larger than that whole service provider's 19 um, agency customer base. So it was a, it, it was a bit daunting for them. It was a bit daunting for us, but we 
picked up the system that they built for us, put it in a DHS data center, and proceeded to um, last year get the Transportation Security Agency up and on the modern system after we did a small agency and made sure that it was all working right. And then um, the Coast Guard. And the Coast Guard is by far the largest, probably one of the largest, most complex financially organizations um, and mission-wise that the department has. So it was um, a labor of love by a whole heck of a lot of people across the department, but they are now as of December live on the modern system and um, chugging along, paying their bills and um, trying to figure out all everything that they need to do to use it. I mean, they had probably eight times more interfaces because of the complexity of their operations. And let's see, 10 times the amount of users when we went from a thousand users being on the system to 1600 users across the entire Coast Guard with a tremendous amount of business process um, re-engineering that had to go into making the new system pretty effective. And what I um, would like to refer to as it was almost the perfect storm. So it took a lot of dedication by a lot of tremendously talented people working together across multiple functional areas that all spoke different languages. Um, so a lot of my job, I probably for the last two years, 50% of my the work that I did was focusing on making sure we were all communicating effectively, staying on the same page, doing regular reviews of issues with all team members that were involved to make sure that everything stayed on track. Um, so it, it's been a labor of love. Uh, the coast With the Coast Guard going live on a modern financial system, I had, we have about 40% of the department's spending flowing through a modern um, and let me just say it's an integrated financial procurement and asset management system. Um, so it is quite a feat of getting, and, and the integrated system between all of those three key areas where that um, all relate to each other transaction-wise and being able to track the dollars with integrated controls through one overall system. So you're not moving information from one place to another is phenomenal. So I am, I am so proud of the people that worked on it. They have so much to be proud of. Um, it's been quite a storm. We're not quite all the way out of it, but I am looking forward to um, our next implementations that are coming down the line, which will now be FEMA. And then uh, what we classify, that'll be a, that will be a really good project to be done. They're, they're pretty complex financially also with insurance and grants and different funds that they have available and different management that goes into it. And then we have what uh, the next project is called, we refer to as the CUBE because Immigrations and Customs Enforcement Services about five other agencies. Um, so together, there's, they're the six with us, and we are going to tackle them next. And then we will basically have almost the entire department on modern systems with standard business practices and a common accounting line and a common appropriation structure. That's wonderful. I'm wondering um, if you could share with us, Stacy, what lessons have been learned from the Coast Guard experience, and what are some of the key challenges 
that were really in, faced during that particular time. Uh, how did you get smarter and overcome them? Um, well, we had a lot of time to to gather our lessons learned <laughs> before we started the Coast Guard implementation since we've been trying for so long. But, you know, they say it's not how many times you fall down. It's that you get up that last, it's how many times you get up. Um, so it, uh, the biggest lesson that um, we learned, I learned along the way, because I saw a lot of them not go exactly right, is that you have to have um, very engaged, collaborative, and connected leadership team. For me, this wasn't a financial system um, project. This was myself, the chief procurement officer, the chief information officer from the systems perspective, um, to a certain extent, our asset management people, and quite frankly, the undersecretary for management, and it's always been on the forefront of our senior senior leadership's um, uh, perspective. And it really took the, I didn't basically go to a meeting with the exception of some of my internal st direct staff without all three of us at the table, collectively hearing what each other was hearing and listening to each other's concerns and helping each other work through it. The management business support operations team um, in the management directorate that we have, and that I think one of the biggest reasons we were successful is because we all wanted to see each other succeed. And really, it, I've, I haven't worked with the finer group of leadership folks in ever in my entire career. So it, that was one, and, and really making it a so the joint effort at both the leadership level and at the, um, shall I say, working level. Often when one organization's staff asks another organization's staff to do something, they all have their own competing priorities. So it was a matter of us as leaders getting them all in the room and making sure we all understood what the priorities were so we could help them prioritize. So it, it was continuous, continuous engagement um, and always get bringing, the, bringing the team, not any individual, to the table to quickly address any issues and, and raising those um, sooner rather than later because staff always want to um, solve problems themselves. Um, and we quickly, I, I learned over time that if you don't direct them head or uh, attack them head on, and help um, get rid of those roadblocks and challenges that they're facing and find out about them, for one, then people will try to figure it out themselves and, and not be as successful as if you were there being their advocate and helping coordinate and collaborate with the other business areas. Because it, it was such a joint project. No one person could... could and no one function could have achieved it by themselves. It's a, you kind of hinted at this, but I was wondering if there's any any other, as you reflect on the success of Coast Guard and then looking forward to FEMA and and the Cube, as you as you referred to them, perhaps you could sort of elaborate even further around successes and best practices employed, and and what you hope to accomplish in that area for the next iteration. Yes, that's a good question. So some of the other 
um, lessons learned that we are already working on accomplishing for the next iteration is really paying attention to the data um, because it's a, we're we're moving a massive quantity of old and often reliable data um, from one system, realigning it into different buckets and putting it in a totally different structure in a new system. So if your old data, if, if you don't focus on cleaning and by cleaning, it took me a while to figure out what cleaning your data meant, but now I know. Um, really making sure that everything is categorized the right way, that there's not missing data pieces, that there's not open obligations that don't connect to a contract. So we have already started down that road and we are tracking metrics against making sure that we are doing those data reviews for both FEMA and the cube right now. Um, and, and getting a solid, the other thing that you definitely have to do is get your subject matter experts for the different business processes, whether or not it's paid to procure or um, any of like 10 handful of business, the core business processes that you're going to be performing and mapping out how you currently do it today and having all of that work done up front so that you can understand what the changes, because the components that we have right now are, um, the FEMAs, they have a lot of customized work going on in the background. And we're going from a customized systems to a commercial off-the-shelf system. And we're not we're not configuring or we're not changing that commercial off-the-shelf system. We're not doing any development modifications. We are going to keep it as is, and we're only going to configure the business processes inside it. So that the work that needs to be done up front to map your current business processes and clean your data has been ongoing already. Because I it's not can can never emphasize those two things enough. And people honestly don't believe they really need to do it or focus on it because they've all got regular day jobs. And we haven't started modernizing them yet. We're close, but we have really gotten them focused. And I do regular leadership reviews with them to see where they are. Um, and now that they have all of their metrics and business process tracking, uh, mapping in place, um, it's the work to be done up front can't be underestimated. You know, Stacey, you, you, you mentioned in our conversation around the success of the implementation, both of Coast Guard and the work you've done, and the amount of time that's been put into um, the different iterations of the of the modernizing of the system. You know, one of the things that we talk about process, we talk about technology, but what sometimes what's lost when you're implementing um, this this change of way of being, if you will, the people, the impact on people, the change management aspect. How do you prepare uh, the workforce for such a change in how they do things? And how do you, how did, how have you dealt with change management issues? That's a great question on the change management issues. Um, it's um, because a lot of the, it's not my workforce. It is the components and the agencies like Coast Guard and Transportation Security Agency, they own their own workforce. So it really is, as I alluded to earlier, an extremely joint partnership. 
and we have rules. It's very joint, um, but we also have some defined roles and responsibilities that we make sure are clear up front between what the headquarters, the DHS CFO headquarters organizations do and what the components are we going to need to do within themselves. I'll say Coast Guard leadership had an excellent employee engagement plan, training plan, multiple messages per week to their workforce. They're all the way up to their vice commandant engaging the other flag officers on a reg on a monthly basis to discuss the new system coming down the pike and what it was going to take to get there and how we are going to make it successful. So from the change management starts at the top, you got to have your leadership support um, and that change, but real people who are going to implement the change have to understand what that change is and that it's coming um, and that you have a uh, good change champion network where you have deck plate, deck plate leaders. That's a Coast Guard term where people that are out on the ships and the station and the Coast Guard stations are the people driving the change. Um, where they are the champion and they learn and help others learn. Uh, to a big extent, the COVID environment actually helped the Coast Guard overcome some of those change management issues because uh, their original plan two years ago was to do on-site training. But we've made uh, every almost every training available as a web-based recorded self-paced training that people can go back and reference all the time and take again. And because we weren't doing the in-person training, I think we've actually reached more individuals and have a better, more long-lasting network of training resources in place. So that, that definitely was one of the blessings in our change management approach because People are, I mean, they are a military force. Uh, people change jobs every two and three and four years. And somebody may, somebody new may be using the system um, every two years. We've got, so they have, they've really done an excellent, I have to commend them, job of getting not only meaningful change management in place, but lasting training in place. Well, Stacy, you know, that's a wonderful story. I mean, can other components adopt that? Uh, the practices that they, or is it unique to the to the nature and mission of, uh, you know, Semper Paratus, always be ready. But, um, you know, what's next? You've alluded to it, but I was wondering if you had any more thoughts about what's next for the DHS financial modernization journey. Well, it's, it, modernizing our systems is only, it's only the foundational aspect of where we need to be for the financial management um, improvement journey. That is the, and that's the fundamental of getting access to common information in, in systems that are using um, standard business processes. And then our workforce uh, across the different agencies and financial operations can be a little bit more uh, what transferable in their skill sets. And eventually we will downsize our operational footprint to those most efficient places 
um, and we might perform one function that's really efficient and good at, at processing invoices and another operation is really efficient at intaking invoices, whatever it happens to be. Um, my ultimate goal is to downsize our back office footprint um, because when we are more efficient and effective when we do business, that's more dollars that are available for the DHS mission. But that's still, to me, foundational. The real journey is when we start getting um, common, integrated financial data um, across the department. And we have uh, department-wide views of how we're spending fuel in different places um, and how we could potentially consolidate fuel buys and save millions of dollars by having multiple agencies use this consolidated fuel buy and demonstrate the value that they're going to be able to get out of that. But that means integrating our financial data and spend with the DHS footprint and where we're located and what vehicles we have where and how much they're consuming. So the real financial journey is really coming up with integrated business data sets where I can link for a major acquisition program, the contracts, the spending, the people on the program, the major milestones coming up, when a contract expires. So you have a more holistic picture built of any given mission area, really. How has the COVID-19 pandemic impacted financial operations at DHS? I'll explore this question and so much more when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. How does an agency decide upon and implement a performance management framework that will be successful for their specific administration? The IBM Center Report, a practitioner's framework for measuring results, follows the implementation and results of the CSTAT management framework in Colorado's Department of Homeland Security in hopes that it can guide others who may want to institute a similar approach. Download a practitioner's framework for measuring results by Melissa Wavelet on businessofgovernment.org today. Agile methodology has allowed for agencies to keep up with the growing demands for fast response to problem solving. The Opportunity Project, TOP, serves as a catalyst in adapting agile techniques to solve complex agency mission problems. TOP works with federal agencies to identify challenges and facilitate iterative approaches in response. In the IBM Center Report, Agile Problem Solving in Government, Joel Gurin and Katerina Ribello discuss the factors of success involved in TOP. Download your free copy today at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Stacey Markoff, Acting Chief Financial Officer at the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. I would like to transition into um, building an organization, uh, that kind of theme. And, and like most organizations within government, I understand that uh, your office is looking to attract the best uh, financial professionals with the right skills to serve such an important mission like DHS. Would you elaborate on any opportunities available to individuals who may be interested in a career with DHS and in particular with your office? And what are you doing to attract them? That is a great question, especially since I let off a little bit earlier with um, our number one goal is getting good people. Um, and that's easy to say, 
uh, quite challenging to do, but I am very proud of what we have internally inside uh, as our workforce development division uh, inside the CFO's office. I like to say that they are probably one of our smaller divisions of the CFO, completely dedicated though on making a long lasting and impact on our workforce with um, what we have set up for financial professionals incoming program for people that have recently graduated college with a centralized training program. And this isn't just servicing my headquarters CFO office, it's for the entire DHS financial management community. Um, and we've really built partnerships with the other, with the DHS, other operational agencies, with financial operations to really continue to move this forward to do college outreaches. I do CFO panels with different colleges, um, regular forums to say, these are opportunities that we have available in the federal government, and here's how you apply. And applying anywhere in the federal government, if you're coming from outside the federal government, is uh, can be quite challenging to navigate, especially for um, people who aren't used to it. But I offer myself up to as a resource for anybody that may have questions. I don't spend I get them connected with the right people who can help answer their questions about getting into the workforce. And I am extremely sad uh, it's, it's a lot of self-satisfaction when I can do some mentoring at different uh, for interns at different financial professionals associations and have them reach out to me and say, how do I do this? And I, I, there's nothing better in the world than to help other people find their way in. But when we have um, dedicated leadership development programs, technical training programs, career path guides for different functional areas in place, and we're really making it real to our workforce to continue to build skill sets, leadership skill sets, and to continue to uh, build that pipeline through a career professionals program into the department. We monitor and track the heck out of making sure that we're successful and we are continually making adjustments to how we develop and attain people. Stacey, that's wonderful. You know, uh, I, I was wondering how has the COVID pandemic impacted your organization but also the financial operations of the department overall. Thank you, Michael. I am proud to say the financial operations of the department overall haven't skipped a beat. We have our ninth clean financial statement audit opinion. Um, we moved, and thanks to our, our IT workforce, our CIO's office, moved from a... Um, you know, an in-person environment to a fully virtual environment, almost without skipping a beat. Um, and it it really, I think, ex with the exception of the um, mental, I, I, how do I say this the right way? Um, people's work ethic are, is very high in the CFO's office and the ability to disconnect and take a mental break from framework became harder for people, and that we have, we had to address that. 
and we had to make avenues available for even a little bit of down fun time in the virtual environment with our teams um, by doing fun things with the workforce and thinking of creative ways to have our holiday party online with different guessing games, et cetera, that ended up being extremely fun. Um, but we really need to work on the uh, personal aspect, I think is what was hardest on people, um, but really reinforcing continuous communication with each other and having empathy for everybody's different situation. Because when you're at lockdown at home um, in multiple different uh, household settings, you've got to be sensitive to your workers, your, your workforce, be sensitive to your colleagues, and know that everybody's individual situation is unique and they need continued flexibility. So I think the, flex, be, the wanting to be flexible aspect was something we tried to embrace up front. And we, you know, we realized we did not need as big of a footprint and we do not need to print so much paper. Um, great stuff there. I, I, I Switching gears a little bit, um, the Government Accountability Office, GAO, um, has called for the strengthening of the department's management functions, acquisition, human capital, financial management, uh, placing these functions on the high-risk list. Would you tell us more about the department's efforts to address some of the risks identified by GAO? Sure. Uh, this has been ongoing since the stand-up of the department when we originally got on the list for um, standing up and implementing the Department of Homeland Security. That's what the original high risk was. We've since then got it uh, scoped down a little bit once we got some of the foundational tools in place of the department operating well together and that they it's really about integrating management functions and we took it very seriously as a management organization providing management and mission enabling support for the entire department and developed um, an integrated strategy that on our own to say here are all the ways that we are going to work together to address every single outcome and then we made it real for each other and came together as a leadership team and monitored um, and tracked all of our miles, tracked our milestones, tracked that we were making progress toward the outcomes that GAO identified and that we had leadership commitment. We had a solid plan in place. We tracked against that plan and we were going and we ensured that we had uh, continuous progress. Uh, we might not get everything as soon as we wanted to, and some things may be a little bit more challenging, but we are tracking continuous progress against our built-out plans to strengthen those integrated management functions. Um, and I can tell you right now that, um, to me, management as a function, CIOs, our procurement office, our finance office, our readiness support, our security office, and our human capital office, are the reason that the department is successful today in so many different mission areas that cross agencies across um, multiple Coast Guard, CBPs, ICE, and, and uh, immigration functions of the world? Because we have brought together human capital, procurement, 
IT, um, on Southwest Border Ops. We have helped them with uh, standing up different facilities. So I, it, we really, like I talked about earlier, have a very strong management leadership team with strong ties to the component oper management operations. And we are building them to work together to support and be successful on the front lines of DHS operations. And I probably um, could go on about multiple ways that the management directorate has worked together um, in the in the past couple of years. So I, I don't I don't think managing the department's uh, management of the department is a high risk function and. Um, but we're still on the path to convince GAO of that. That's a wonderful update, and I really do appreciate all the insight you provided. You know, you, you bring it up, and we may have talked about it a little more, but I was just wondering if, if there's anything, any, you know, processes in place with you and your office to deal with the, you know, sharing of best practices and lessons learned from the components financial uh, CFO shop. Is there anything unique that you haven't said that maybe you guys do and share together? We do have um, a CFO council that is all of the uh, component senior financial officers and myself getting together. We get together on a regular basis, at least twice a month. Um, and then add talk as needed if an individual emergent issue pops up. But what I would also say is that then translates down to um, uh, like councils and functions on the budget side of the house, on the program analysis side of the house, on the financial management working group side of the house, where they, we don't do anything in a vacuum without all the components there and contributing in any individual area. Um, so that's really kind of the structure that we've set up is anytime I see something good that's going on in the department, I make sure that everybody else knows about it. And I think that's one of my primary roles um, to help people see other and And we've really learned to share resources across different agencies within Homeland Security. Um, when one person does something well, they, other uh, agencies have been willing to let people borrow their own people, quite frankly. And that in, in and of itself is a best practice sharing and initiative. I lent the people in the CFO's office out um, multiple times to other agencies within DHS to share what they've learned from a different agency. So I think is a, it's kind of embedded in how we operate and do business. And I'm very proud of the partnerships that um, the component senior financial officer leadership is top notch and they do not hesitate to talk to me. Um, if anything uh, doesn't sound right to them or they want to tell me about something good that they're doing. Uh, so their engagement and support, and they actually have a very good camaraderie between each other. Um, it's about building those connections with people. So uh, Stacy, what are you doing to empower your employees to drive innovation and become champions for change, moving away from finance uh, as it's typically done to a more faster paced, more agile, analytically focused uh, approach? Thank you for that question, um, because driving innovation is interesting, and I've been studying it a lot lately, uh, but I 
really believe that driving innovation is about building an environment for people to be able to innovate in. And that to me is about building, and this is all touchy-feely, building trust and transparency within the workforce um, about what they're doing and why they're doing it. And really building a workforce that is inclusive um, and listens to different and diverse and outside of their normal silos way of doing business. Um, because if you believe in continuing to make your function and more efficient and effective, and we do, that is our mission, um, we are continually trying to think of ways to do that. And I alluded to earlier, really integrating data across business areas um, and driving the analytics that can be done with it. We are starting to make, um, what do they call them? The sandboxes available with integrated data sets to the analysts that want to think new and better thoughts about how can we do business better. Um, and they don't have to have the answer. They can play with it a little bit and offer different ways of doing business. And then we can evaluate, is this worth trying? So I think when you have, when you're open to those new and different ideas and the workforce trusts that they're not going to get in trouble for thinking differently and you're willing to listen to different ways of doing that. And it starts with me because I try to bring in different diverse ways of doing business and provide those examples for staff to get them thinking about it. Um, but we're, we're putting an innovation lab in place, built, putting those sandboxes for them to play in a place, getting an analytical tool, tool set. So we have to have all of those things available for people to then start taking not just financial management, but managing the department to the next level. That's terrific, Stacey. You know, you've worked with many different administrations, many different DHS leaders throughout your career. I was wondering, what are some of the best lessons you've learned from all of these leaders? And what is your secret to being resilient and adaptable to so many different leadership styles? Um, well, leadership styles are different just like everybody's personality is different so it's a part of life that you have to figure out that. so you have to be you don't have a choice but to be adaptable and learn different ways that people like to communicate like to receive information and there is no one right way for a leader to lead we all have bosses and as long as we adopt the mindset that our number one priority, as long as it's not illegal, immoral, or unethical, is to deliver what the boss needs and wants and help them meet their goals. Um, so that is by virtue of you being an employee, of you having a boss, and I don't know anybody in the world out there, very few that don't have bosses. Um, so leaders, you just face the fact leaders come and go, different personality styles come and go, you get to know and love them all, um, but you really have to focus on 
building the organization for longevity and building the people for longevity. So you're that you're developing them, you're developing the next generation of leaders, you're building positive relationships with your colleagues that will last. And the last thing that I think I'll leave you with is interestingly enough, in the federal government, your boss today may work for you tomorrow and vice versa. Your boss today may work for you tomorrow and you may work for, uh, and if you flip that around, um, so it's super important to me to always be nice. I actually hired one of people, a person that then became my boss. And it's always, so it's interesting how the federal government works and there's nothing wrong with that either. But live by the golden rule, treat people how you want to be treated because you never know who you're going to be working for or who's going to be working for you next. And if you don't treat them well as a boss, how are they going to work effectively for you if they end up being your employee? Stacy, uh, what advice would you give someone who's thinking about a career in public service? The advice that I would give somebody is, uh, about who's considering is yes, always consider it. <laughs> um, yes, 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 always consider it. I think public public service service in and of itself is what people should do all the time for each other for organization. Um, and it's something that I think is outside the normal realm of what people think about. So I, it's something that we need to get out and talk about more. Um, but the other advice I would give them is find other people who are already in government service and solicit their help. Um, for, and it really doesn't matter what you do in government service. They, we have every single field available to people. It really matters that you like and trust the people that you work with and that you're working for a mission bigger than yourselves. Now, Stacy, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule and joining me today. But more importantly, I'd like to thank you for your dedicated service to the country. Thank you very much, Michael. It's my pleasure. This has been the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with Stacy Marcotte, Acting Chief Financial Officer at the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. Be sure to join me next time for another informative, insightful, and in-depth conversation on improving government and its effectiveness. Until then, subscribe, download, and listen to the entire interview at Podcast One, iTunes, or on your favorite podcast app. And as always at businessofgovernment.org. For the Business of Government Hour, I'm Michael Keegan. Thanks for joining us. How can government best use big data to transform decision-making, public services delivery, and communication? The IBM Center Report, Integrating Big Data and Thick Data to Transform Public Services Delivery, by Yan-Yan Ang, presents five recommendations for public managers introducing the concept of mixed analytics, urging thick data, meaning qualitative information about users, to be presented alongside big data to improve government decision-making. Visit businessofgovernment.org to read more. WFED Washington, WTOPFM HD2 Washington, W283DG Sterling, WTLPFM HD2 Braddock Heights Frederick. Federal News Network is the news organization of record for the federal community. 
We are nonpartisan, nonpolitical, and our job is to help federal government and contracting executives make informed decisions. We inform federal managers, contractors, and policymakers on issues related to the federal workforce, management, and acquisition, pay benefits in retirement, Defense Department, and federal IT. Portions pre-recorded. Nights and weekends, we air Washington Nationals, Capitals, and Wizards, and the Navy Midshipmen. We are the Washington, D.C. home of Navy Athletics. Download the Federal News Network app on the App Store or Google Play Store. Play Federal News Network on Alexa. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Federal News Network. Our mission is helping you meet your mission.